Well, that prayer that we just uh, prayed, the songs that we just sang, they all recognize that there is the supernatural. There is the spiritual. And even crying out to God, we need you. It's an acknowledgement that although we live in a physical world, there are spiritual realities. Moreover, there is a spiritual, supernatural being who has created it all. And a lot of times that truth can seem kind of abstract. But really, um, it's a part of the reality that God has created both the heavens and the earth. God is Lord of the supernatural as well as the natural. And we need to remember that as we go about our lives because so oftentimes we miss out on the spiritual reality. Therefore, we miss out on the spiritual blessings that are available to us, the supernatural blessings that are available to us. But then we also miss out on the spiritual battles that are going on. And so when we step into those battles, if we just step into them with natural assumptions, physical assumptions, as if the real, what's really real is, again, the natural or the physical, then we're not going in fully armed. We're not going into that battle in a way that allows us to have the victory of Christ in every decision and everything that we come in contact with. And that's why we're starting this series on spiritual warfare. Because so many times when we go to battle for our faith, and every day is a battle as we live out our faith, we go into it without, not fully equipped, not with our full armor to withstand and to thrive and to have Christ's victory. So that's why we're looking at the whole topic of spiritual warfare. And today we're beginning at the beginning in Genesis. And... You know, as we lived out this week and we saw, you know, some, the violence and the battle in the capital, you know, that battle as it was going on, that violence that was going on, before it happened on the physical realm, there was a spiritual battle going on as well. Right? In every person's heart, as they d wrestled with what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's false. And that battle also took place in the context of... Uh, the worldly systems and fallen thinking, mob rule, all sorts of things that were going on. Because, see, we live in a hostile world. There's battles going on, but they have a spiritual origin. And then as, as I was seeing that, then, uh, you know, I had a friend call me up and ask me what I thought because, you know, being a veteran and stuff, what do you think about all this going on? And I told him, well... You know, long ago, I've stopped putting my hope in government and in nations, and our only hope is in God. So, yeah, I'm disturbed, but my hope is secure because it's not in worldly things. But then, as I say that, as I hope in God and his church, then, you know, that means that my hope for how we as Christians interact with the world would be different than what we see in the world. And one of the hardest things as a Christian is having that ideal and called to be God, that ideal, and then seeing 
how Christians interact with one another. And so many times it's no different from the world. It's as if we don't have a supernatural and a spiritual guide and power beyond the world. And that tears my heart up when I, I see Christians working and living in the natural, doing their battles as all others do. And so although I had planned on doing this series long ago, it's even more applicable today because the world is in turmoil and they're looking for an alternative to the hostility, to the violence, to the lack of hope, to the lack of truth that the world provides. And in Christ, we have that hope. In Jesus, we have that supernatural ability to love our enemies, to persecute though, to pray for those who persecute us. Because, but a part of that battle is understanding that our battle is not just with flesh and blood, but it is against the, the principalities. It's against the evil forces. It's against the sin in our own heart. It's a battle that happens in the spiritual realm and then manifests in the physical. But as we live our life, as we live our faith walk, it's, it's not just something in the physical realm. A large part of the battle is in the spiritual realm. That's why when, when we give into temptation, when we give into despair, when we fail in our faith walk, why when we are taken captive by worldly philosophies and practices, when churches are undermined, often because there's a battle going on in the spiritual realm. But we don't properly engage that spiritual because we're only functioning on a material level. And that's, that's why we're beginning this series on spiritual warfare. And I know what some of you or maybe some watching are thinking, a, a Baptist talking about spiritual warfare? What's going on here? You Baptists don't talk about spiritual warfare, do you? Yes, we do, because it's biblical. And so that's why we're looking at it. And just to give credit where credit is, I'll be using a book. If you could put that up, uh, Spiritual Warfare and the Storyline of Scripture. Um, it's a book I highly suggest. It really looks at a biblical theology, if you will. It looks throughout Scripture about what does Scripture say about spiritual warfare. So we don't go at it in a non-biblical way. We look at it through a biblical lens. And so I'll be using that material. But the question becomes why? Why, even as Christians, do we function only on the natural level? Many reasons for this, but one reason is we swim in naturalistic assumptions of our culture. So, you know, many people argue that the natural, observable, physical world is all there is. Now, the philosophical difficulty surrounding that proposition has been argued for centuries, but still, that's had an effect on our culture. And so while most people still believe in the existence of the supernatural, those kind of philosophies have caused most of the Western world to operate with what I call a default naturalism. By default naturalism, I mean we primarily make choices. We primarily live our lives based only on physical considerations. Whereas the spiritual realm, yeah, we might believe in its existence, but it's a concept more that we have in our minds. But, as, but we treat our problems as if they only have physical, material solutions. And therefore, we miss out, again, on the spiritual blessings and the spiritual battles that are going on in our world. So we live by this default naturalism, even though we 
believe in the supernatural. But as Christians, we acknowledge that God created both the natural world and the spiritual realm, and that Christ rules over all. So, yes, we should not follow, just get taken along by our culture and discount the spiritual. No, God is spirit. If the Bible is true, and I believe it is, God is spirit. Satan is real. Sin is real. The worldly systems that we get caught up in, those things are real. So we, as Christians, we don't follow that. We say, no, there is a spiritual realm. There's a supernatural God that I can connect to. But as we begin this series on spiritual warfare, I also want to say that, you know, Jesus is Lord over the supernatural, but he's also Lord over the natural. So if, if I was just talking to a group of sort of secular people, I'd be just focusing on the, the reality of the spiritual. But because we're in a Christian context, I also think it's important to emphasize that Jesus is Lord over not just the supernatural, but the natural realm as well. And I think this is an important truth because there's always certain sect or, or, or group of Christians who often try to claim the mantle of being more spiritual by kind of discounting the natural, right? As if God didn't create the natural world, that somehow that the material world is, is evil and that it's the most spiritual thing to do is just deal in that spiritual realm, that physical realm. But this is not biblical because God calls us not just to work in the spiritual, but also the physical. That God's power is manifest in the supernatural realm, but it also his, his providence and power work in the natural world as well. So that what I mean is that you know, we have some brands of Christianity who, you know, act as if, uh, you know, it's all spiritual, so therefore we shouldn't take medicine, right? right? There's always sort of those kinds of Christians that say, no, no, that's not spiritual. I'm just going to trust in God, so instead of taking this antibiotic, I'm just going to pray. Or disparaging others who, uh, you know, look in the physical realm for provision, as if God's not sovereign over the natural. But we see in the Bible that, no, the Lord is Lord of both. And I think an example would be, you know, how we as a church are handling the coronavirus. I think that's an example of respecting both the natural and spiritual realities, right? We, we take physical precautions against the coronavirus. We distance ourselves, we wear masks, but we also pray for protection and healing, as well as have that biblical perspective that we don't need to fear. That no matter what happens, right, God is sovereign, and we don't need to fear death, nor, we, but we also have that biblical perspective of we want to take care of one another. Just as if our, a church member was hungry, we'd give them food. So too, if a church member is, um, uh, has a health condition, we want to protect them. See, it's both. Jesus is Lord of both the natural and spiritual realm. And I think as we start this series on spiritual warfare, that's important to acknowledge. It's important to acknowledge because when God created humanity, he gave them a task. He gave them, he gave us, I guess because we're humans, uh, a task to have dominion over the natural order and to subdue the earth. This is what's called the creation mandate. 
right? For you theologians who like terms like that, the creation mandate. This mandate is found in Genesis. And it's basically God saying, yeah, I'm going to create you so that you look after the natural world as you're connected to the supernatural being who created it all. So you're going to be ruling in the natural, but being connected to the supernatural. All right, so let's look at that. Um, we'll start in Genesis um, 1.26. This is the sixth day of creation. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the, every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So the creation mandate to, to subdue, to have dominion, means that humans are to cultivate and care for the earth in a way that glorifies the creator and leads to human flourishing. And so having dominion includes cultivating land to produce food for ourselves. So we don't expect God to send down a, a shake and fries every night for dinner. Now, if he did, I'm sure that it would be a Chick-fil-A's peach shake because I love that. I know it's one of, the, one of my favorites, but it's only for a limited time. Um, but right, we, we, we know this, like, we know this is the creation mandate. God has given us dominion so that we cultivate fields and cultivate lands to provide it. But we do it in a way that actually reflects the supernatural. Saying, yeah, God is good. He's the good creator. He, he cultivates. And so now I'm going to cultivate as if he were here. Right? That's a part of what we're doing. So having dominion includes cultivating, I believe, uh, now that the world has fallen and there's sin and death, cultivating cures, cultivating, cultivating treatments, vaccines for sicknesses, that's a part of us fulfilling our creation mandate. And so, for instance, that's why the Apostle Paul, who prayed for and supernaturally healed many people. So if, if we're talking about someone who worked on both the natural and supernatural plane, I would say the Apostle Paul, he would qualify, right? Because he, he healed all sorts of people supernaturally. He says to Timothy, his protege, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine, a little wine, <laughs> for the sake of the stomach and your frequent ailments. So now while the Apostle Paul may not have understood sort of the, the science behind why do you mix water with alcohol? Well, you do it because that alcohol kills the bacteria and the parasites in the water so that when you drink it, it doesn't, I'm not going to go into details, but it doesn't keep making you sick. Maybe he maybe didn't understand the science, but he understood, wait a minute. Yeah, there's people that I've healed from such sicknesses, but God is also the Lord of the natural. And so, yeah, use this medicine. 
Timothy, cultivating food, cultivating medicine, it's not unspiritual. It's part of humanity's creation mandate to steward God's creation for human flourishing. And as Christians, we acknowledge the reality of the physical realm and the, the reality of the supernatural God who has told us interact with this physical realm in a way that pleases the creator. So I really wanted to start this series off by acknowledging that, engaging in the spiritual realm, engaging in spiritual warfare, as we're going to talk about the next several weeks, does not mean ignoring the physical realm. It does not mean that, oh, I'm going to do spiritual warfare and I'm going to pray for healing, even though it's miraculous, even though it's impossible, I'm going to pray for that. That does not mean that God's not going to step into that situation and heal you through a doctor or, or step into the situation and, and use flesh and blood people to be an answer to your prayer. He works in both. He's the Lord of both. And as we engage in the spiritual realm, we need to understand that truth so that we can be ready for whatever God's going to do. Because he's not just Lord of the, of the spiritual, he's Lord of the physical. Now, we also understand, though, that God is the Lord of the spiritual. He is also a supernatural God and rules the supernatural realm. And, and here's the thing about spiritual warfare, is that as his people, we have access to that supernatural realm is that when we are connected with that supernatural God, when we're filled with his supernatural spirit, then we don't just have the physical to rely on. We have a supernatural power and presence of God. And I think supernatural is apt here. I kind of use supernatural, spiritual interchangeably, but you know, I think here supernatural is apt because some things exist outside the, the, the physical order. Right? First and foremost, God Almighty, he's not bound within creation. Rather, he exists before creation, above the universe he created. And throughout the Bible, you can't understand the Bible without understanding that supernatural spiritual element. And, and so we see this supernatural God creating the, the natural created order, creating people. And it's good. And he's Lord of them all, of, of both the, the natural and spiritual. And he, he tells, tells his people, here, have dominion, you know, subdue the earth, rule as if I would on this natural plane, but know that you have connection to that supernatural realm. And so Genesis, it continues telling the story of a close connection right, between God and his creation as God blesses Adam and Eve and he directs them. And, and there's, he gives Adam and Eve things to do, right? You know, subdue, have dominion, multiply. To, gives them just basically one thing not to do. Don't eat of that tree, the tree of, you know, tree of knowledge, of good, and of, of good and evil. And there seems to be peace, right? Peace in both the spiritual and natural realm as, as God's creation responds to God's word, right? The refrain of Genesis 1 is, you know, God said, let there be and it was so. There's, there's a harmony between God who is spirit and the natural realm he created. All right, well, then where does the warfare enter in? Whether spiritual or physical. Well, Genesis 3 introduces a being that is hostile to God and his purposes. Genesis 3.1. 
It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Right there, among the physical trees of a newly created earth, spiritual warfare begins for humans. Now the serpent, who scripture later identifies as Satan, seeks to undermine God's plan for creation by turning his image bearers, those who are supposed to, to expand God's kingdom and reign over the, the spheres that he gave them, his, he's trying to turn God's image bearers against him and his plan. So Satan contradicts God's instructions, and then he contradicts God's character by saying, you know, God doesn't really have your best interest in mind. I mean, he's keeping something from you. Really, you know, you should be like God, but God is keeping you down. Maybe you should go against God on this one. No wonder the Bible elsewhere refers to Satan as the adversary and the accuser. And we see right here in Genesis, what is Satan doing? He's an adversary to God's plan, and he's an accuser of God's character and his word. And then humanity sides with Satan, gives into temptation, and their choice, our choice, is hostile to God. Instead of advancing God's plan and enjoying that connection between the supernatural realm that is full of God's presence and his power, humanity sides against God, both knowingly and unknowingly. And here we see, as we look at spiritual warfare, two of the enemies of spiritual, in spiritual warfare. And really, this is what spiritual warfare is about. It's about there's a war between God and those who are against him. And here we see those that are against him is there's Satan, but then there's also sin, our own sin. The worldly systems is another one we'll talk about later. But you know, when we see that story of Adam and Eve, I want to ask you, do you see yourself in that story? This week, maybe even today, have you heard the accusations against God in your life? God doesn't have your best interest in mind. Maybe you should go against God and his word on this one. I mean, after all, there's extenuating circumstances. Do you make the choice contrary to God? I see this battle playing out in my life every day. And the thing is, is these attacks have been going on since the beginning of time. That a battle originates in the spiritual realm... And then it affects how we interact with the physical realm. It affects our relationships. But what do we do? 
We've taken sides against the almighty creator and sustainer of the universe whose anger melts mountains, whose rebuke destroys planets, who with a word brought the sun into being, a sun whose power is, is greater than the whole nuclear arsenal of the whole world thousands of times over. In the spiritual war, we are traitors. We've betrayed God. We're collaborators with the enemy against the Almighty. So what do we do? We hide. That's what our forebearers did. We, we hide. Because what can we do? Genesis 3, verse 8 says, and, and Adam and he, Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, that's hostility, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. One lesson we learned from this is, don't play hide-and-seek with God. Right? That's silly. Why would, you're going to lose, right? He's going to find you. But yet that's what Adam and Eve do. And that's what we do because what else are we going to do? Right? We, we pick the wrong side. And when, when, when it come, becomes clear that Adam and Eve have sided against God, notice what they do. They turn on one another. They accuse one another. The man blames his wife. He also sort of blames God by saying, you know, the woman whom you gave to be with me, it's her fault. And then the wife blames and accuses the serpent. But this all began, notice, with Satan accusing God. But now, now they accuse one another. The hostility towards God and his plan spreads to hostility towards one another. You see, hostility and war spread. And we have seen that. We've seen that this week with violence in the capital. We see that throughout the ages. War, violence, accusations spread. Now in war, it's normal to shoot deserters, right? Traitors should be hung on a gallows. But notice, while Adam's sin is going to bring war, death, and sin into the world because he deserted God, God doesn't desert Adam. Isn't that amazing? Through God's promise in Genesis 3.15, he, he claims, Adam, I'm still for you. Eve, I'm still for you. That... 
Yeah, there's going to be hostility. There's going to be spiritual and physical warfare between the offspring of Satan and those against God. But, and, there's the, and, the, and the offspring of Satan, they're going to, he's going to bruise your heel. In other words, yeah, it's going to hurt. There's going to be bloodshed. Satan is going to bruise humanity's heel. But I'm going to crush Satan's head. And, and actually, your offspring, Eve, is going to crush Satan's head. God is proclaiming, yes, Adam, you deserted me, but I'm not deserting you. You're still on my side. And through you, through your offspring, I am going to crush Satan's head. And Jesus Christ, born of a woman named Mary, fulfilled this promise fulfilled this promise when he rose up in victory over sin and satan and death you see one of the important truths about spiritual warfare and we'll take a whole sermon to to focus on this later is that this war is already won christ won the war he crushed satan's head on the cross and what's really mind-blowing is that, you know, and what we're used to, the worldly way of victory is what? Through power. And so we think, yeah, of course God's going to crush Satan because he is so powerful. In fact, the only reason people can stand up to God is because he gives us that free will and that sovereignty over our own choices. That's the only reason we can even go against God. And so we assume, yeah, God's going to totally, you know, crushes enemies. But the amazing thing is, is that although God will have victory and will crush Satan's head, he gives his life for us so that we can still be God's children. We can still be his people. Again, we abandon God, but God doesn't abandon us. And he wins this victory through love and self-sacrifice. This is amazing is that, yes, God can just win because he's number one. But instead, he chooses to, to destroy Satan, destroy Satan's lies and his hate with truth and love. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God we believe in. And that's the kind of pattern. And those are the keys of spiritual warfare, that if we are going to fight in the way that God has called us to fight, it's not by grabbing worldly power or worldly means. It's rather through love and grace, loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us. That's how Jesus did it. That's how he saved us. And so Paul talks about this great reversal that Jesus being fully God but also fully man is able to live that sinless life and, and take our sacrifice so that he beats Satan, defeats him, defeats sin. He, Apostle Paul talks about this great reversal, right? That we were enemies with God by our own doing but God saves us through Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 26, he says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, 
when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. That's both spiritual and natural. He is Lord of all. For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be, to be destroyed is death. And we'll look at this at another time. But at the end, when God's final victory, we see him cast Satan, death, into the lake of fire, into hell, and destroys them. But instead of casting all of Adam's seed, all of Adam and Eve's offspring, all of us into the abyss with them, because, hey, we picked sides with Satan. No, he wins the victory. He wins our hearts. He wins our souls through the sacrifice on the cross. And so we're going to go into a lot of stuff in the next few weeks, but I'm, out of, I'm running out of time here. So, you know, from the cross of Jesus to the end of time, our task is to walk in Christ's victory. Even as the forces of evil try to take as many of God's people down with them. Christ's victory, it originates in the spiritual realm, manifests in the physical, but it ultimately brings together both under his lordship. Likewise, we must do battle in the spiritual realm and bring our whole lives under Christ's lordship both the spiritual and the physical, because Satan's going to continue to accuse God. He's going to continue to sow doubt that God can be trusted or, or that we really do have access to this supernatural God. So how do we respond, right? So I just sort of set up, just starting this series, but I don't want you to go thinking, oh, wow, yeah, Genesis and, and all this and the concepts of spiritual warfare or the sort of the reality of it is placed, but but what, how do we respond today? Well, first, I think it, it's important to acknowledge, and maybe you've never acknowledged this before, but acknowledge that God is Lord of both the natural and the supernatural. And maybe you've put in, been putting God in a box and being like, yeah, you know, God doesn't really involve himself in the world or, or the opposite, you know, that, that, oh, physical world doesn't matter. Acknowledge that God is Lord of both the spiritual realm and the, and the natural realm. And engage in that spiritual realm. Engage in spiritual warfare. I may say, well, how? How do we do that? Well, this series is kind of going to unpack that all. But for starters, let's just start for today. Give you one thing for today. Recognize that Satan will accuse God. Satan will accuse his instructions. And he'll say to you, God's not trustworthy. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's not good. So Satan will accuse God. And then, you know, maybe, because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, when you actually give in to that temptation, when you believe Satan, and so choose a path that God does not have for you, then Satan's going to accuse you. He's going to accuse you. He's going to say, no, you, you better hide from God. Are you kidding me? You went against God, the God of the universe? Mm -mm. You better stay away from him now. He will accuse you. And so if that happens this week, and I know it will, because it does every day in our lives, don't hide from God. 
Don't hide from God. If we learn anything from Genesis is that God is seeking us out, that God is for us. That, yeah, we betrayed God, but he will not betray us. He will not betray his word. And his word is, I will crush Satan's head. So don't hide from him. We're overmatched. There's one thing I've learned in my Christian life and, and ministry is, you know, yeah, I don't fear Satan, but I'm no match for him. He's way too smart, way too crafty. But Satan's no match for God. And so that's why, yes, don't hide from God. Run to him in a very basic way that you can do that. Again, it's through prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is running to God. Basically, that's what prayer is. It's not hiding from God. It's running to God. Saying, God, I need you. Just as we say, God, I need you. Satan is accusing me. Saying, God, I need you. I need your salvation. I need your strength. I need your supernatural power to last through this. I need your supernatural power because guess what? I'm starting to react to the situation in a worldly way. That is, I look at my life. I'm no different than the world, even though I have the supernatural God. So, God, I need you. That's why we're doing this prayer emphasis We're doing this prayer emphasis because that's what prayer is about. It's running to God. It's acknowledging. And basically, as we go through this series on spiritual warfare, you're going to hear that a lot. Yeah, pray, pray, pray. Because prayer is connection to God. It's saying, God, I want to connect with you. And then when you connect with God, that's when you're connected to the supernatural. That's when God can manifest his supernatural power in the physical realm, in your situation. And that's when the sick get healed. That's when the dead come to life. That's when we're able to live in a transformed way that actually reflects Christ and not our world. So yeah, if you don't know what to do, pray. Sign up for the prayer time. Uh, Join us in one of our Zoom prayer groups. Just pray. Pray. Engage the supernatural. Spiritual warfare, your primary weapon. Yes, the word of God, we'll talk about that another Sunday. But then it's also prayer. Right? Because that's where you have, you're connecting with God. So let's do that. Let's let this series not just be a series about spiritual warfare. Let this be a series where we step into the battle. So let's pray. Dear God, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge that you are Lord of lords and King of kings, both the natural and supernatural. And Lord, we thank you for your providence in working through the natural realm and Lord, giving us food and clothing and vaccines, all these things we've been praying for. Lord, we acknowledge that the blessings that come in the natural realm, they're from you because you're creator. But we also pray, Lord, that we would engage in that supernatural. Lord, we repent. We, We know we've run from you because, Lord, we have failed. We have sinned. But now, Lord, we thank you so much for your bat- your, you winning the battle. We pray that your victory that you've given us in Christ, Lord, it would, that victory, we would walk in that victory by being connected with you this week, this month. Lord, we would constantly be running to you in prayer. And Lord, that your spirit and your power, your supernatural blessings would work in our lives. 
Lord, we, we pray. We've, we've run from the battle so many times. We've misunderstood the battle. But now, Lord, we run to you. We run to your power. And we engage this battle that you put before us. Battle in our hearts and minds. Lord, we know you've won the victory. And now work in us and through us. So that we'd be a part, Lord, of what you're doing. Part of your goodness. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.